it's Nate Wilson from the New Black Society podcast, episode two with Nicole Thomas. She's the executive editor for New Black Society, also a B2B entrepreneur living in Atlanta currently right now. My longtime extended family member. She's been involved in all my online media projects for quite some time, and I've had to have her as a guest on the show, and she obliged. So here it is, episode two with Nicole Thomas. Uh, Nicole, I got Nicole Thomas on the podcast today. I hope you know I'm saving that info. I'm saving this intro. This was the perfect intro for me. I don't even need to really introduce you. You were on every single project that I've done over the past, I don't know, 15 years probably. I don't even know how long I've known wow. you. I, was I know, I was thinking, I was like, well, it's been that, while, that long. I wow. was talking to Tracy yesterday who, you know, we're all together on the former project we did, Blam Buzz. Right. And now we're on New Black Society. So I interviewed Tracy yesterday. I said, Tracy, like I've known you for 10 years. And she's like, yeah. I was like, you know, we've seen each other once. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> and it was like, a total, like, it was totally random. I was headed towards, um, I was in New York. And I was headed towards uh, Philly, and I was going to go take the the bus back home. They have these buses out here. They might have out in Cali. It was um, the Bolt buses or Mega Bus, and they kind of shuttle you back in between the Eastern Corridor between Boston, New York, Philadelphia, DC. Mm, right. So I was catching my bus from New York to Philly, and who do I see but Tracy? And she's like, Nathan. And I was like, Tracy? <laughs> I was like, right. you said your, you said my name with confidence. Like, you really have seen me, but. Yeah, right, right, right. Like, well, we've never <laughs> seen each other. I didn't know how tall she was. Like, she's actually, like, slightly taller than I am. So I was like, I didn't know you were actually tall. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, right, right. So, you're you're so, only getting so much for those Facebook pictures. That's it. That's only, that's only so much. So that is amazing. Uh, it, 2020. 2020. It, you feel like family. Right. I, like, I was going to say the same thing. I, I really feel like we've worked together and known each other for a long time. And it, yeah, I had to sit and think like, well, have I met Nathan? No. In person? No. We have not. I haven't. I, yes. I, I, we haven't. And then that's, that's the weird thing about like Facebook and uh, Twitter or whatever else, Instagram. But Facebook, like, I think predominantly, because we yeah. grew up on Facebook. Right, right, we right. We grew up on Facebook. Like, we came age, up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I am. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember when it was Black Planet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can take you back. Um, I can go. This is really going to tell my age. I can go back. The first one I remember is College Club. Do you remember College Club? Oh, I remember College Club. Now, that yeah. was before my time a little bit now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, that was, yeah, that was like college. I, well, well, I knew College I, Club. I was in college at that point. I, I had heard of College Club. I know it was College Club, then it was MySpace. MySpace, yes. Yes. MySpace. But for college, for me, it was Black Planet. Black yes. Planet was, was the play. That was. We, and we were doing all the graphics and putting together the code to, to have like all this weird graphics. And it was a great way to meet people. I tell you, it that. was, it yeah, was like, I met a lot of great people through black plan, a lot of black folks that went to PWIs or HBCUs nearby. Uh, it was a great time. It was just a great time, but now it's Facebook. Uh, and Facebook has had a phenomenal run. 
And that is pretty much how, I don't even remember. How do we even become friends? Do you know? I don't know. You know, I, I, I was thinking about that this weekend, too. I honestly don't. You know what, Nathan? That's fate is what fate. that is. Law fate. of attraction. Fate will put people together. Absolutely. That, that can't remember how they were put together, but can see down the road that they were put together for a reason. So, I agree. Uh, I think I agree. about the Bland Buzz crew. That's, that's how I see it. So that was actually like very good times. I was like one of the most fun times uh, for me when I started Bland Buzz. It was you, me, Tracy, and Chris Lane. But Chris yeah. Lane really, you know, Chris Lane really never jumped on. It was just me, you, and Tra uh, Tracy. And, um, you know, it was, I think, I had to get to a place where I had to figure sustainability. Yeah. Like, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. like financially speaking, I yeah. know that I can pay for whatever I need to get done. Right. Like, I, I, I'm in a place now, like back then, I couldn't have purchased a MacBook. Willy right, really. right, 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 right. You know? Same here, same here, same here. Right. Like now I just like, oh, let me get a podcast mic. Oh, let me get a microphone. Oh, let me get, oh, I need to order a new yeah. MacBook. <laughs> click, 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 click. Right, I, I can right. Actually, I got credit now. Like. Yeah. I, oh, I know, right? I know. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, it's a big difference from that time frame. We've, um, we've come, we've come a long way. We have come, come a long way. Like I um, and and I can only imagine what it was for you because you you were running everything. All I had to do was contribute, you know, a write up from here from here to from time to time. And that I was like, you know, felt like I was you know trying to squeeze that in, but important, you know, felt like I have something to say. And it's important times, and now. Well, is important times. It's important uh, times. More, so. more, more now than ever. Yeah. But, but again, going back to the, the bland buzz, uh, let me give you the context about what I was going through at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I had just gotten this job working in the middle of, like, I'm from Philly, and I got this job working in Princeton, New Jersey. And I, I would say, just for context sake, that's about an hour drive away from my house. Okay. Right. So I drove it out and it was like way out in the middle of nowhere. And it was like a decent setup. But I always have these jobs, these white collar jobs where I sit in the office and I kind of like have this incubated space mm -hmm. and downtime to do other things. Right. Right. And so right, right. I use that time where it was like, super downtime there really wasn't anything for me to actually do except show up and okay. if there's some project <laughs> for me to work on right. I would work on it so I'm like this is a dream setup for me right do what I really want to do which is start my website back then I didn't have like wi-fi or or like a nice laptop I didn't even really know how to put together websites that well but I put the whole website together on like the work computer Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. I put it on the work computer. And so when I got started, I would just do my write-ups from there. And it was relatively easy, except yeah. for the fact that um, the computer processor was like from the 90s. <laughs> and I was like, no, you got to uh, update your computers or no, yes or no. 
And I just kept going with these whack computers and stuff like that. But what really happened, Trey, um, 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 Nicole, was the fact that I got into a car accident. That was the main really? thing. I did. I got into a car accident, and then I wound up, you know, you need your car to get to work. Right. So right. I couldn't, like, I couldn't even, like, afford to fix my car at that time. So I was like, mm. without a computer, without the Wi-Fi, it's like, I'm pretty much like a fish out of water. I shouldn't have let that, you know, I shouldn't have allowed myself to give up so easy. But at that time, I was just like, I don't want to do anything until I know that I can. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that. I wouldn't consider that giving up. That's that's hitting the reset button. That's that's stillness. Taking a minute. Yeah. You have to take a minute. Now I'm like in a position where I'm like, I know I'm going to be doing this long term. Right. Like, like I, this is like the first of like a hundred podcasts you and I are going to do. I hope you know that, but I'm just, yeah, well, I do now. I do. Yeah. Now. yeah. I've, I've been, uh, I received the memo, <laughs> <Very> <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm a, I'm, t- I'm totally for that. Uh, because, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, a need for discussion and planning consideration, um, right now. So, you know, I, we talked a moment ago about, you know, fate and, mm. and um, uh, timing. And I think uh, right now is the right time to really get into this in a, in a meaningful way. In a meaningful and, way. And it, as you alluded to, we're in, we're, uh, I think every, everyone from the team is in a position now to really both you know not just from the you know sort of a financial standpoint but also sort of a um having grown a little bit you know and oh. and had an, having an opportunity to really um kind of ponder on some of these things and and think them through and uh be better at conveying it you know what i mean or at I least do. that's how it feels for me no no i i feel the exact same way uh, and if there's anybody whose contribution is extraordinarily valuable, it's yours. But it really, like, I've been reading your stuff, you know, <laughs> like the, I think it's like what the 12 days of racism. Yeah. 10 days, t- 10 10 days, days of, of racism challenge. Yeah. 10 days of racism challenge. You have a very interesting story to me. You're from St. Louis. Right. You spent 10 years in the Bay. I still thought you were in the Bay, but now you're just a two hour flight ride away in Atlanta. Right. Um, which is amazing. Talk about the trajectory. Like, you're from St. Louis. I've been to St. Louis. I personally think it's the most racist major <laughs> city in America. Would you agree with that, yes or no? You know what's funny? Um, even if, uh, <clears throat> I, I think it, it's hard to categorize <laughs> or to determine the, you know, most racist is kind of like trying to uh, tell somebody, um, well, who's the best MC of all time? You know, there's different um, uh, things to consider to kind of make that determination. Um, But uh, if nothing else, uh, (laughs) well, for me, it's definitely in my top five. Um, (laughs) I think it's representative of sort of uh, the the culture that exists in the Midwest in general, which, you know, living different places has been um, a conversation um, that I've had with people that, you know, think, especially folks who are from 
outside of the Midwest, uh, you're talking to somebody in, from the Northeast or somebody from the West Coast, and they're, they're you know, when they, when they try to develop a mental picture of, you know, the most racist places to be, the South always comes to mind. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you think, you know, Jim Crow, you think um, KKK, you think of imagery, you think of, you know, uh, Emmett Till, you think of right. all these things. Right. And so you, you kind of naturally um, uh, associate, you know, the, the, <laughs> the Confederacy with the most racist place in America. Uh, but when you've lived in the Midwest and experienced that style of racism, um, mm. I think it's, uh, it's eye-opening for people out and, and that's the funny thing too because you know I think people who grow who are born and raised in St. Louis recognize it some have a deeper understanding of it than others mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. kind of uh, talking about you know my family history and uh my great-grandfather being in the middle of the East St. Louis massacre um and, wow. and, you know, but we all, everyone that, you know, every black person that lives here feels it to some degree. But what I find interesting is when I have conversations with black people from other places who have been there uh, and, have, and have an ability to compare it to where they're from, mm-hmm. it's even more noticeable for them. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I can remember having a conversation, you know, just a random uh, uh, conversation with a guy um, who who lives in um, uh, Lawrenceville, um, which is a suburb of Atlanta, mm. and he uh, uh, used to drive trucks and you know would, would go up to uh, I think he said he spent some time in in Seattle, Portland, kind of up in the in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, he had a friend in St. Louis, and. He had never, he'd only been, you know, his, his entire perspective of St. Louis was one visit and we were, you know, in a, in a group setting and everybody's just kind of talking about where they're from. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, my husband, I mentioned, you know, we're from St. Louis and, and it's like his whole facial expression changed and, (laughs) and he's like, wow, you know, St. Louis, wow, that was, he's like, I only spent a weekend there. And I just, he's like, I, I had never been to a place that was so segregated. And, and, um, and I, he's like, I just, you know, I was only there for two days, but you know, I, it was so blatantly apparent and, and it was, um, it like, he could feel it, you know? Um, Is is that accurate? Is his, his, oh yeah, it's very, very segregated, um, to this day, um, you know, you, you hear people talk about uh, like sunrise cities or sunrise towns. Sundown towns? Or sundown towns, sorry, yeah. Um, and there, you know, it, there was certainly an abundance of those um, in and around St. Louis. And, and to this day, you look at, you could almost draw a line um, with either sort of 270, which is the interstate that goes mm-hmm. around the city. Okay. Or um, or seventy, which goes through sort of the the middle of the city, maybe even more accurately, um, forty uh, Highway forty, and on mm-hmm. the north side is all black or predominantly black. 
Um, South side, predominantly white. And it's been that way since, you know, since I was a kid to, you know, uh, the example I'll give is, you know, when you turn 16, 17, you get your driver's license and yeah. you, you're ready to explore, you know, right, you, you right. Can, you're, you're willing to run to the gas station for your parents, um, uh -huh. but you'll hop in the car on a Saturday and just drive. Of and there were parts of St. Louis that I had never been to before that mm. I really didn't get to uh, um, explore until I was old enough to drive because, you know, my parents just never went there. <clears throat> and as, as I, you know, <laughs> did more of those drives, I came to understand why they didn't. And it was just, <laughs> why is this? Yeah, you know, exactly. Because, um, you know, there's, there's a, a mall in St. Louis that I've never been in. If you can believe really, that. what's it called? Plaza Frontenac. And okay. um, never been uh, to this mall. Never been to this mall. Now, uh, probably telling my age too. I do come from the era where teenagers spent a lot of time in the malls, and uh, and have been Me to too? you know every mall in the metropolitan area. We would drive to uh, make little summer weekend trips to go to like outlet malls, you yeah. know, through throughout the the country. So. Um, it wasn't, you know, a lack of interest in malls. It was that mm -hmm. this mall, if you went in as a black person, mm -hmm. um, it, it was it, the way you were treated was just ridiculous. Like I can remember a friend in high school uh, mm -hmm. getting ready for prom, you know, prom's big deal. That's the, the, the first time, you know, you really, you know, spend some money on formal wear <laughs> as, yeah, a, yeah. as a kid. And, um, uh, it, it, your goal, uh, at least, you know, from a, from a, from a girl's perspective is to, to try to go somewhere different to find the dress to make sure nobody in prom has the same dress on that you do. Oh. And a friend had, had gone to, uh, Plaza Frontenac to, to try to buy a dress for prom and was following around, was, was, was told that, uh, uh, she couldn't afford anything there. So why would she be there? By who? Um, who told uh, her that? By by a store clerk. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is just for perspective. We're talking 1998. So this wow. isn't <laughs> this isn't something that was taking place in the 50s or 60s or even the 80s. I mean, we were coming up on 2000, and that was a, 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 an experience that you could still have. And and between you know. The redlining, if you look at the history of towns like Spanish Lake, uh, Blackjack, um, Meacham Park, all these, all these areas in, in St. Louis where there's either, um, you know, uh, documented examples of uh, trying to keep people out of certain, trying to keep black people out of certain neighborhoods or um, white flight from North County to St. Charles and, and St. Peter's, um, it, it, it's, it's there. And it's still, to this day, it's still here. Uh, maybe, maybe a little better with, with, you know, more people kind of stepping out and uh, kind of settling in, in West County. I would say it's probably a little more diversified than it was when I was a kid. Okay. Um, but there's still, you know, <laughs> there's still a very clear sort of line um, 
between the black side and the white side of the city. And you see, and, and to my point about the Midwest and, and, the, and the Midwest being this way, you can see that in Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. same thing. Yes. Um, you can see it in, in Kansas Detroit. City. You can see it in Detroit. Uh, you can see it in, in the uh, uh, bigger cities in Ohio. You see it in Indianapolis. It's, it's, it's pretty prevalent and, and still, you know, remains that way, which is, you know, sad and, and crazy that, so, you know, it's 2020 and we're still there. So, uh, I mean, so when you talk about the, the city, that's extremely fascinating coming from a, a city like Philadelphia, which is segregated in and of itself and it's got its racist points but it's dramatically different and and i will tell you why in a second but looking at the midwest cities it sounds like there's heavy segregation blacks on one side whites on the other Mm -hmm. and then there's heavy levels of aggression towards Mm -hmm. blacks that kind of cross that line Mm -hmm. um is there also like a lot of police pulling people over in the cars and stuff like that? Is there like a a lot of pullovers in St. Louis? Well, you know, that's how it's enforced. And I think that's, that's kind of um, the, the, the convenience of maintaining the status quo is that you can, you can be white in the city and say, you, you don't see this or you don't experience this. Um, but you also don't see a lot of black people where you're at. And often that's because uh, it is policed in such a way that you won't. So there's, there's, I would, I would break it down into kind of two forms. You've got policing in areas um, where they don't want you to be. So almost along the borders, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, step into those communities via a street and you notice an immediate uh, police presence at the border and you're uh, of that, you know, sort of municipality and you're harassed to the point, you know, kind of similar to my story with, with, with Plaza Frontenac. You're harassed to the degree that you don't, you don't want to be there. And it, you know, over time, you just, you, you don't go because you don't want to deal with that. And then the other is, um, um, sort of uh the 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 trapping people inside so heavy policing heavy policing with within within communities so everybody knows about you know ferguson and mike brown of course and um my father where i grew up lives um probably you know two miles three miles from where all that happened and um if you've especially as a young person, uh, drove through Ferguson, it was, you know, a guarantee that you were going to get pulled over um, at some point, you know, for wow. anything. And guaranteed. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed. I mean, it's, it's almost you know, <laughs> a, a kind of sick uh, rite of passage. Once you start driving and you're, you're kind of out there on your own as a, as a young adult, or really still a kid for that matter. I mean, I kind of consider late teens, you know, your brain's not fully developed. You're still learning. Yeah. You're still experiencing. You're still a kid, you know? Right, right. Um, and uh, you, would, you would, you know, start to get that exposure at that point. And you could, you, the, the, the sort of trapping you in 
uh, element was, you know, if you were, if you live in one of these communities, you constantly have to deal with this. And it, it becomes not only a psychological burden, it becomes, it's, it's also a financial burden. Right. Uh, because I was going to say them tickets ain't cheap. No, no. And, and, you know, and it was funny, you know, living in, in California and talking to people about this and explaining sort of the, the system that, that, you know, to, it was eye opening to them because they, you know, just hadn't heard of or experienced anything like that. But when I say, you know, you get pulled over on a regular basis and it may be the most minor of infractions, uh, provable or not, uh, changing lanes abruptly, which is very arbitrary. I mean, wow. you know, how, 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 how is that determined, you know, driving down, you know, a main thoroughfare in a, in a little town, uh, yeah. out on, in a suburb of St. Louis and you, you're pulled over that turns into let's run your tags. Let's see, um, if, if you, you know, got any traffic ticket warrants, which are very easy to accumulate because often for, for some of these tickets that, you know, anywhere else, you just pay the ticket. You know, right. you might get if you didn't want to get points, you know, you could go to court and, and get go to traffic school or something like that. But, right. you know, there's there's, you know, relatively minor tickets and, and lots of these little tiny municipalities where there's not a lot of business or industry paying taxes. Uh, and over the years, property values are depressed. So there aren't a lot of property taxes coming from those areas. And Ooh. so their re their main point of generation of revenue is through traffic violations traffic tickets and so you get this ticket for this most basic thing um you have to show up for court for it uh court may be in the evenings you know from uh, on on a wednesday from you know six to eight there's scenarios where if you're not in that court or at least you know when i was younger and there were scenarios where if you weren't in that court, you know, uh, 15 minutes before uh, sort of the start of things, you could not get in. So, boom, you missed that court date. Boom, you're issued a, a warrant. Um, wow. Or, you know, and let's think about it. You know, when I was 19 years old, I was in school yeah. and, and I'm working at nights. You know, I'm in school during the day. I work at nights, not making a lot of money. Right. Still trying to, you know, uh, kind of stepping out, supporting myself while in college. Um, it's, it can be challenging, very challenging to make a court date, not to mention, you know, the, oh, we mailed you the information for what your court date was, but you never got it. But how do you dispute that? And then you get these warrants. And then and because you're pulled over constantly, if you have a warrant, you're going to get caught. So you get pulled wow. over again for this, you know, arbitrary or minor infraction. Um, and you you get arrested for having this traffic ticket warrant. You you go to the, they take you to, to jail. You have to be bailed out. That's a few hundred uh, dollars. Then, you know, uh, you go to court. You're paying court costs. You pay the, the, the fine. All of this starts to add up. And it's very easy for a person to end up with traffic ticket warrants like it was common when i was a kid you know that's it, unbelievable it, and and that was you know nor quote unquote normal which is what i mean when i say when 
when people from outside of these areas, um, and just using St. Louis as an example, when people from outside St. Louis come in, they see it to a degree that a lot of a lot of residents uh, may not necessarily feel, you know, the full the full breadth of it because that is your quote unquote that's your normal. Yeah. That's you know, it's normal <laughs> to see a cop and take your baseball cap off. It's normal to see a cop and turn your radio down. It's normal to see a cop and get and get nervous. It's normal to see cops all the time. And you know that that was not you know my experience uh, living other places, but it was certainly my experience in St. Louis. Well, I mean that's the next question I was going to ask. I mean, you must have felt uh, a tremendous sense of urgency to get out of St. Louis and go someplace else, and you chose the Bay Area. Why the Bay Area? Uh, a job is what what brought me there, um, mm -hmm. or I, I should say, provided the opportunity. Uh, I never really considered uh, California as, as necessarily being the place that I would I would ultimately move, mostly because yeah. I'm, I'm super family oriented yeah. and being, you know, really far away from my family. I always thought, you know, I'll move somewhere that's a, a, maybe a long car drive from home, but uh, <laughs> not not two not not two and a half days away. Uh, but there was also sort of this just you know, desire to see something different. And um, my father had told me about uh, being young and, and almost moving out there and just his, uh, you know, a handful of visits that he, he really liked it. And when I went out, uh, it was kind of the same thing. And I, I remember having a conversation with a friend um, maybe three years after, after being there. And, and, and she said, uh, well, you know, kind of what do you what do you think about living in, in the Bay? And I said, two things stand out to me. Number one is um, a, a general um, uh, level of of, 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 of of sort of responsibility towards political activism uh -huh. that I didn't. And, and not to say that that's not there in St. Louis. And it's certainly more so um, after after Mike Brown. Uh, it's amazing how much that has turned around and how it's turning around the, the political landscape within within St. Louis as well and how, why, how some of these things are now being addressed but at the time um, it was you know kind of this 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 glaring contrast um, and seeing you know people did not hesitate to start uh, to protest to focus on a push a policy etc but the other thing, you know, I, I told my friend, if I had to describe, you know, one, one feeling uh, from, from moving there, it was, it was the kind of the first time I felt free. Wow. And, and she's like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, well, you know, all these things I just described for you, it, it, I felt stifled in the city, uh, mm. living in, in, in St. Louis, because it felt like it was all these forces kind of you know, working against me that I had no control over. Um, but getting out there, I had an opportunity to breathe. And, you know, even I, I noticed the tension, stress, anger, everything for me started to subside once I got out there or, or after, I guess, after a period of time of being out there, simply because <laughs> I didn't feel like I had to be lo looking over my shoulders every, every time I got in the car. Yeah, well, and, well. 
That, it's amazing. That just doesn't, it does it for me. Like St. Louis is the number one most racist major city in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, well, you know, maybe, maybe I made, made the, the case. case for that. You sure did. <laughs> you sure did. Now, they do have something like that here in Philly, uh, but it's not necessarily police. It's like the parking authority. Um, so much so that they made a show out of that called Parking Wars. And they basically ah, take your car. They'll just take your car. They don't give a shit. Like, they'll just take your car right in front of your house uh, because you have a parking ticket. And they kind of wow. use that as a way to keep the poor poor. Exactly. That's really the whole objective. Is exactly. To just extort uh, the working class poor to death. Um, there's very few Philadelphia citizens that have not had a problem with the parking authority. The thing about the parking authority, though, is that they don't discriminate. They, okay. will, <laughs> it's, it's they will screw over anybody. They yeah. will screw over white folk, black folk, rich, poor, wealthy, celebrity. They don't give a damn. They right. will put a ticket on your car. Um, but I think everybody universally hates them. There is a little bit of privilege, though. There's like this, the wealthiest neighborhoods in, in Philadelphia, like Chestnut Hill mm-hmm. and maybe Society Hill. They don't get hit. Like where I live in West Mount Airy, it's a it's a very upwardly mobile affluent type of integrated neighborhood. So mm-hmm. not a lot of action up here, but they will venture up when they have the time. And they will <laughs> on your car. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. But I never I never experienced it where where it was that type of heavy segregation. Like in Philly, they do have segregated neighborhoods, don't get me wrong. Right, right, um, right. You know, you'll see them on the news. I mean, there's this one area called Fishtown. There's one area called South, you know, just in South Philly. And it's racist. It just really just is. But the thing about it, Philly, is that Black people don't care about those neighborhoods. Like, it's, there's nothing of desire in those neighborhoods that Black people want. I think because Black people just have their own thing yeah but it's just really interesting to hear um how st louis was i'll tell you my impression of st louis people like i remember i was in vegas and these white people were just basically harassing me they thought they were joking but they the jokes weren't funny so therefore yeah, yeah. like harassment it's like you look just like chris rock haha <laughs> like you know and i've heard this before Okay. Uh, I don't agree. I don't see it, but okay. But I've heard it before. I was just like, okay. But then it's like they were in the same resort that I was in, and every time they saw me, come on, Chris Rock, tell us a joke. <laughs> they really thought it was funny. Wow. I was like, it's not funny. Like, uh, yeah. Like, leave me alone. I don't even know you. Right. You know right. what I mean? And it was just like, and then they, they, we saw them again at the buffet because you know in Vegas they all have the buffets. Out. Right. Right. So I'm out there, and then they see me again. Ah, you know, can we, is it safe to call you Chris Rock again? No, it isn't. And then I finally got around. I was like, where are you guys? Where are you people from? He's like, oh, we're from St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, doesn't uh, surprise me. Yeah. Could, you know, you know, my friend so- Nicole told me about you people. <laughs> you know just uh representatives you know just, representatives just doing their job yeah yeah but then you went to atlanta the mecca yeah yeah what brought yeah, you yeah, there yeah. uh it was where i always wanted to go oh mm. well, i should say from so 
you know, you get older and gradually your awareness heightens, right? And I would say by the time I was in, you know, my mid-teens, I pretty much decided that I wanted wanted out and was kind of looking at, you know, where else would I want to go? And then I went to um, Florida A&M. for a couple of years and met my best friend you went there. To FAMU. I did go to FAMU. Go Rattlers. Go Rattlers. Strike, strike, and strike again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I met my best friend there who mm-hmm. happened to be from uh, well, I mean, originally from New Jersey, but lives uh, lived in Atlanta. And I came to visit her and. <laughs> I know. When you come when you come from an area where you feel like everything is done, um those 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 forces externally and internally at times, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. are um are are holding you, you feel like you're you're being held back. And then and and you see, you know, the uh, all that on people over time. And then you go to a place like like Atlanta, uh, especially, you know, during very kind of impressionable period of my Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And you are taken to these neighborhoods with these gorgeous homes, you know, just beautiful air. And, and, and I'm a, I'm a suburban kid. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I I, I can, uh, who needs a quickie mart? I do. And, um, (laughs) And uh, seeing those neighborhoods and then my friend saying, yeah, and by the way, you know, this is a all black neighborhood, right? Wow. And I was like, wait a minute, How what? old were you? How old were you when you uh, went? At this point, I was about 1920, 21. So you're about, you're about, so, okay, so you were like 20, 21 when you went yeah. to Atlanta. Yeah. So uh, what year was this? You're, you're yeah, this was two. 2001, 2002, 2003. So you came during it like Atlanta's prime. Yep, exactly. Okay, you came during Atlanta's prime. Exactly. So take me like, because I really want you to go take take us through that visit and what you were really feeling when you first got to Atlanta. Did you make? How soon did you make the determination? Like, this is where I want to be. By the end of that weekend. I mean, seriously, like I, I, I had looked at Atlanta and like, so, okay, when I, when I was a teenager, Freak Nick was still a thing. And so, um, you know how, how, um, with music, one of the awesome things about music is that it kind of puts you in a place and time in your life. So when you hear a song, you're not just hearing that song. You're thinking about where you were when that song, when you first heard that song, when you were listening to that song. Right. And i always being a music fan. This is all this also kind of coincides with like Atlanta starting to really uh, kind of take it for hip hop. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right. you know, I know that. I know that. Era. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um, so I was getting sort of this, you know, distant exposure to this culture before I even got there. Right. Um, and then going there and um you know, seeing the level of black success like I had never seen before. Now, granted, I hadn't been to a place like Philly, um, which I think is another another city that sort of represents this this um, 
this culture of of like pride like this you know like we've we've uh, we've made um uh we've made this place our home and you know like nobody's going to take it from us you know uh, that that, that, that type of attitude so fascinating i I, I love to hear people describe Philly that way. That's that's a very insightful. And then, that's and very then, good. And then I tie it to the music, right? What comes out of cool. Philly? Neo soul, you know. Yes. So, you got these two, you know, sort of um, uh, moments in the culture that give a lot of exposure to a particular region. And Atlanta was getting this, uh, was getting its uh, exposure at that point. Mm. And so I already knew like, huh, you know, so it sounds like there's things going on down there that I, I want to be a part of. And then I get there and then to see these these neighborhoods to see people to see black people walking around without any like fear or um, uh, uh, uncertainty of where they they can and can't be, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. to to see that whole entrepreneurial spirit like thriving, like, you know, not just, I'm going to go work for this company. Right. No, I got my, I, you know, I have my own business and not just, I have my own hustle. No, I have my own business mm -hmm. that stood out to me. And as I thought, you know, down the road, cause I'm a, I'm a planner, um, best laid plans, you know, can go awry, but I'm a planner <laughs> as a, yes. a, 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 as a personality. And so going there, I could see, yo, this would be, a place I would want to raise my kids because mm. I don't want my kids to grow up feeling beat down before they even had an opportunity to experience life. And that, you know, to a degree was, was how I was feeling. You, <laughs> two years after driving in St. Louis, you start to, you know, really feel the oppression. You know, if you didn't before then you feel it yeah. and not, and not having to feel that there. And, and again, and I'm not saying look, racism's everywhere. Okay. Um, there are there are incidents everywhere, you know, and, and that's that's America, that's the world, okay. But some places, you know, can be worse than others, and in some places, I, I feel like you 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 got two th mainly two things that can happen: either that that becomes um, you know, a way of life that you accept, mm. and you just you know kind of go along and get normal. along. Yeah, yeah, and it's just normal. And then there's other other places where it's kind of turned on its head because it's like, well, you know, even if you don't feel like you want to give me what I deserve, I'm going to take what I deserve and I'm going to build what I deserve. And I got I got more of that vibe there. And so, you know, when I thought about where I wanted to raise my kids, you know, obviously every parent thinks about things like school system or, you know, yeah. pay for private school. And right. I mean, people can argue over that and, you know, proximity to your family, you know, things like that. But it was it was the psychological um, sort of what psychological experience my kid, my future kids would have that mattered to me um, and the city being within reach of St. Louis. I'm still near family. You are, but, you are. but can, you know, raise, raise a kid in an environment, um, where they're allowed to flourish and grow those without as many 
of these outside forces, you know, pushing on them. Um, I like that. Okay. So how long have you been living in Atlanta now? I have been there three years now. Three years. And, yep. and what's, what's your general impression of it now? Is it still the same energy that you felt when you got there as a 20, 21 year old? The energy I would say is probably a little different. And I, and, and I don't know if, if that's strictly sort of a little bit of a change in energy or if it's also, you know, being older, you know, what I was looking mm-hmm. for in mm-hmm. my, <laughs> in my, yeah, t- of course. it was a little different than what I'm looking for now. But, yeah. um, and, and, and I think like a sort of a good example of that is when, um, when I went in my twenties, Buckhead was still clubs and, you know, um, a, a, a totally different sort of scene than it is today with, you know, high rise lofts and, and, right. and Starbucks and, <laughs> yeah. 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 uh, and Ikea's, you know, it's a, it's a different, that area in itself is a different vibe, but as far as the sort of the mentality of the people there, I think that's still 100% exists. And, and, the, and two perfect examples, um, that everybody, you know, most people are familiar with. If you listen to Killer Mike or T.I. talk about anything. True. These are two. Now, these, like, on surface, you know, if if you didn't know them, if you were just strictly, you know, if somebody were to just give you, hey, these are two guys that were rappers that came out of Atlanta, uh, were in the trap, blah, 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 blah. You might have, you know, a, 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 a very false understanding of who they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, just to say that it wasn't like they had to grow up in a particular area within Atlanta to be socially and politically aware. Um, right, right, You, you right. listen to the books that I, I've like bought books that <laughs> I've heard Killer Mike recommend that are like deep i mean we're not you know we're not just you know scratching the surface like you know get deep into sort of multiple perspectives too of understanding what it is to be to be black what it is uh or what we should be you know seeking for our community what we should be seeking for ourselves these are two very deep brothers that Mm. also are um uh uh very very close to the culture you know what i'm saying it's not like yeah. they they it's not like you there's no relatability with them with anybody any black person you know what i mean yeah, um yeah. and that that's an example that's the product of atlanta you know what i mean so, i do <laughs> so I, seeing seeing that and and having a son i'm like yeah i i i i, I want that you know for him you know I and I I completely agree. I completely agree. Like I can remember the first time I went to Atlanta, I was twenty three. I was twenty two. I was twenty two. I went for Battle of the Bands um, because I was a big Drumline fan. Believe it or not, yeah. I saw the movie in the theaters showing my age. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I went down to Atlanta. The energy is indescribable. Yeah. I, I, I remember just going down there, people were talking about business. Support. Yeah. Oh, you have a business? What, what, what's the name of the business? Oh, what's the website? What can I yeah. buy? Wait a minute, you're looking to buy something? Yes. Right, 
Right. Yes. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, years later, I went down to Atlanta and I was selling these products for like barber shops and stuff like that. And I'm selling products in the barbershop. And, uh, you know, you, can, you know how when you're black, you can just walk into a barbershop and sell like you're a bootlegger. Almost. Right. And so, but I just kind of kept it professional. I made my presentation and a lot of people would just buy it on the spot. Yeah. And I remember I went down to Atlanta and I went to go sell a couple and I went into this, uh, I think I went to the Ross. And when I went into the Ross, there was a guy in the barber shop who had came and followed me into the Ross. Mm -hmm. And he said, Hey man, uh, you know, you were selling those, uh, those products. Let me just, I just want to let you know that, uh, one of my best friends, he owns 12 barbershops. Yeah. See, I said, see, word. He's like, yeah, let me give you his card. You know, let me write down my name. Yeah. Tell him Larry sent you. That yeah. Yeah. Tell him Larry sent you and set up a meeting because I really like what you're doing, man. Yeah. I said, brother. Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. even know me. Yeah, like, exactly. And this, and you're doing this for me. And guess what? I showed up, did call him and he purchased like 40, 50 of them. And I didn't see, see? <laughs> I knew at that point, I said, you know what? Atlanta has got to be the place for me uh, because they seem to have this energy. They get it. They get it. Exactly. Exactly. They get it. Exactly. They understand exactly. that the key to their success is business ownership, entrepreneurship, building wealth, and just constantly working to keep that community aspect. Exactly. And, support. And, support and, of each right. other. Genuine support of each Genuine other. Genuine support. And it makes me wonder, wh why is it Atlanta has this energy, this feel where everybody wants to come to Atlanta? Right. And, and why don't other cities? I know here in Philly, and you mentioned Philly, um, and I really am interested to hear what people think <laughs> of Philadelphia and the, and the Black Philadelphia. And I thought your assessment was spot on. I hear a lot of people in Philly desperately want Philly to be like a North version of Atlanta. Yeah. Like yeah. They I feel like, yeah. uh, because Philly has a specific, like we're a very weird breed of people. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. First and foremost, geographically, we are positioned in between New York and DC. Right. So we're kind of like the overlooked middle child of cities. Right, like New York is the media capital, the largest city in the country. It's like this cultural melting pot. It's everything. And then you have right. DC, which is the political powerhouse. It's the everything. And then you have this very large city right in between New York and DC that kind of just kind of gets overshadowed so much to the point where if you're driving down I-95 and you're coming from DC, It'll say New York, 212 miles. And you'll be driving like, well, wait a minute. How far is it to Philly? Right, right. Because Philly is, Philly <laughs> right. is north. Like, like, you don't even see it. And then right. coming from New York, going to DC is the same way. So Philadelphians kind of get this chip on their shoulder where they're just like, screw you, we can do it ourselves. <laughs> right. Like Philadelphians, they... They'll be like, you know, yeah, New York is close, 
but Philly is big enough to where we don't need it. We really don't need to go to New York to have a good time. You don't need right. to go to DC. Right. To have a good time. Philly is big enough in and of itself. Philly's like the fifth largest city in the United States anyway. It's like yeah. got three, four million people in the area to, to go with. As far as the black population is concerned, I did a tremendous amount of research for the book that I'm writing. Right. Because I wanted to understand why Philly is Philly. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason why black Philly is the way that they are, or the way they are, the way they think, is really comes down to the level of banking that was available, mm. capital that was available, mm -hmm. and the level of education. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was it. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of people don't know, but the first HBCU was actually in Philly. And it was called the African Institute before it changed its name and went and became Cheney University, which now in the HBCU world, it's not really that known at all. Yeah. But before it was Cheney, it was actually based in like right south of Center City in Philadelphia. It was known as the African Institute. It was actually like the premier destination for all intellectual blacks to go and learn. Wow. It was like, it's like one of the most improbable, incredible stories in Black history that never really gets told. Yeah. And, and they had two buildings down there in South Philly, and it was where W.E.B. Du Bois came to study, to speak. That's where yeah. he wrote The Philadelphia Negro. Yeah. Huh. Uh, right around 1904, he constantly stopped by the African Institute uh, to learn and to teach and to research and all the prominent intellectuals went there you know black historians understand that booker t washington and w.e.b du bois had a beef yeah with one another and right. tracy made a fantastic point the other day saying why can't we have both but race right 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 booker t actually convinced the board that academic education isn't the way Blacks need education in agriculture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Therefore, mm -hmm. they moved that uh, college from South Philly, like 30 miles, like 25, 30 miles outside the city. So Blacks can learn agriculture. Mm. And, you know, Cheney, as of last year, was just fighting just to hold on to its accreditation. Yeah. And it's like one of the less unknown schools. Philly, to this day, does not have a prominent HBC given. Which is amazing to me. Because to to your point of the the part of what makes Philly and Blacks in Philly what or who they are is that educational piece. Um, right. And and I would say it with Atlanta, you see kind of you there. There's the academic, which I think Philly really embodies. Um, and in uh, in Atlanta. Uh, it's a it's the cultural education and and really right. i guess you see both really you see both in both places but what it does is it builds confidence you know it's like knowing your knowing your history knowing your part within it and knowing that beyond just slavery you know right that yes we, uh, like, look, we gotta, yeah, we we have to discuss slavery. It's irritating that we don't acknowledge it more in this whole concept of, oh, that was so long ago. So why I didn't know, but it's still impactful. 
the the, the structure that was put into place then still exists today. And you want to talk about the police in St. Louis, it's that, you know, the police, the, the policing scenario isn't very different from, you know, overseers. There, there's, <laughs> the, the, with the, if the first crime uh, a black person could commit was, you know, escaping slavery, and mm. that builds the, this whole uh, uh, idea of, uh, for some, of criminality uh, with black people starts with, oh, you're a criminal because you want what every other human being on the planet wants. Um, then, then you know that's that's something in itself. But the the what we what I think we need more of in general is an understanding of our contributions. Um, you know, it, it, during slavery, after slavery, today, and that that you know builds pride. Because if you if you think if if you think you're history is only this that's you know that's that's a little bit of psychological warfare Absolutely. You're, you're, you're not you you don't it can affect your ability to aspire for more if you think that this you know is the is what you come from and it's kind of that um like in the in the in the 80s and 90s early 90s you know when i was in grade school and going to a, a predominantly black grade school was what sort of Afrocentricity was all about was being it was teaching kids, yeah, there there's that, but let's let's talk about these leaders uh that exist within Africa. Let's talk about these leaders that existed uh in spite of slavery. Let's let's talk about that um uh all these uh uh folks and what they did to contribute to the culture. And how do you get that information through education? And what is education? And it seems when you talk about those two cities, it's not just about K through 12. It's about what you're being taught even outside, what you're being taught within those schools, but also what you're being taught outside those schools and what you're being taught by exposure. You know? I agree. I agree. No, you said something that Tracy basically alluded to the other day. Because I my <clears throat> my argument was like you know you could put proper banking and proper education in any black community, mm-hmm. and you can you know completely transform it from the inside out. And she was just like you know not just the education like what kind of education are we talking about? Right, right. And and she and she and she hit the she hit the nail right on the head with that like it's not just this formal education that we're learning. It's about a better understanding of who we are and how we can express ourselves. Mm-hmm. One thing about Philly, I will say is this, like Philadelphia is the most unapologetically black city I've ever been to. We don't give a damn about the consequences. we're going to be black like black like black philadelphians are the least likely to code switch Mm. for anything Mm. or anybody Mm. like this is my voice this is how i sound this is my accent you're gonna deal with it i'm black i'm not gonna lighten my skin i'm not gonna put this wig on look at my nappy hair i'm black (laughs) right 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 and it's like it's defiant and i and i that's the one thing about philly i'm so proud of we are defiantly black, so much so that they had the move bombing. Like the city 
thought that the only way we can stop these people is if we drop a bomb on them. Right, right. Because they right. were so defiant. They were, they barricaded themselves and they were just shooting back. We don't give a damn. And, yeah. and, and that's the attitude. And you can say, oh, for better or for worse, you gotta, you know, you gotta bend a little bit. I don't think so. I, don't, I really don't think you should have to. I think you got to define what bending is. Well, when I say you know. bending, I mean, like, you have to do what you have to do, so to speak, to make white people feel comfortable. Oh, okay. No. Right. Black <laughs> are, I tell you, Philadelphia and Blacks, I mean, for the most part, just because you're Black and you're from Philly, doesn't mean that you're going to act unruly or anything like that. You're going to go sit at a restaurant and enjoy yourself. Yeah. But the point that I'm making is like they're not going to change how they yeah, are. Yeah. 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 Just because some yeah, white people came yeah, in. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I understand. I totally understand. And 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 yeah, because I, I I think you see that in in those two cities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I would love to see that emulated in other places across America. And I know. I know ultimately you'll get into uh, some other ideas in podcasts down the road, but, I have um, but yeah, it's, you so can much. never underestimate the, the, the influence of environment, you know, Very what, true. what's, what's the, what's the sort of the, that, uh, kind of like, you know, the question of child development 101 is innate versus environment. Mm. And I Please think it's, say that it's, more. Please say that again. Innate, innate versus, versus environment. environment. And there's, I think like many things you need, the combination of the two will, will shape you. Cause like, I hate when people say, well, you know, it, this person didn't have everything and yet they were able to excel and look what they did. And it's like, yeah, a, a, a flower can grow through concrete, <laughs> but yeah. a field of flowers can grow where the soil is rich and toiled and, and the, and the plants are taken care of. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can innately have it in you. You quote unquote good genes you can innately have it in you to be ambitious um or to be um you know um the type that doesn't let anything stand in uh, a person that doesn't let anything stand in their way and will overcome every obstacle sure but you're not i want the field how are you going to get the field in the field depends on not just the 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 genes that exist within the seed that's planted it 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 needs a, uh, a, an environment that's conducive to growth and when you look at these these cities we're talking about those are environments that are conducive to growth you can you can you can breed a population of people who who uh can put together you know both the educational and and the banking and you know the the, the why can't you have both <laughs> the agricultural because and, really, yes, because you, you need, we need all of that. That that's that's the key. We talk about empowerment a lot, and we talk about you know financial empowerment or um, you know educational empowerment. Um, but I think it's when when those when all of those 
uh, coalesce is when you when you have something, and to get mm-hmm. there, you you need those environments that are going to produce folks that you know talking about the education inside and out that's the education outside of the system like are you sitting down talking to your kids about money do they understand you know how to your point how the banking side works they understand what an exchange is um and how those work um don't don't just basically saying don't get uh don't get too wrapped up in 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 one so much as it, it understanding that it takes an understanding of all those things and let's create the environments that that help that so we can we can we can you know uh, take more of uh that innate skill and really you know develop it and and watch it bloom as opposed to you know having you know the handful of folks that make it out despite you know everything stacked up against them what black people need the most i think is our own society right and that's what the whole you know purpose of this of the website is new black society and really what i think i want to educate people and really myself because i don't have all the answers yet i don't have all the answers but i want to know how to build a community from scratch like and i feel like a sustainable community from scratch mm-hmm. that has to be taught because we yeah, become so dependent be on things that we, if we were to go and start our own country, for example, or we're going to start our own, build a town. I don't know if people know where to start, you know, like how do you build an electrical grid? How do you, you know, get the piping for the water to go? How, and then beyond that, how do we set up, an environment to where people feel free to express themselves, to be who they are, to travel, to explore, and to fulfill certain roles to keep their community in a sustainable you know, pattern. That's something that I think we need to learn now more than ever because, Nicole, when we look at the situation, as I have alluded to many times through our group chats, All right. Um, the control aspect is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the biggest contributor to trauma in black people. It's a, it's a measure of control. My body, my freedom, yeah. my ability to go places, you know, it, it's emotionally traumatic when you can't even drive like on the other side of town. Right. Right. You know, or, or if right. you're going to buy something, you're going to give your money away. Your, right. Right. And you're still being harassed. Exactly. You know, it can't, it, like, this is why I'm very big on not just having our own businesses, but having our own societies where the governmental pipeline, the political pipeline is black. Because if we don't control it, somebody else does. And I think in 2020, we've learned that when it's up to somebody else, our best interests are not... Uh, on the ballot yeah we'll have some good future debates nate i think we will i think we will (laughs) i think we will this is uh this was a phenomenal phenomenal podcast nicole i know you'll be on many more to to come uh new black society podcast twice a week mondays and thursdays it's coming at you
take care of you all. Thank you, Nicole, for joining me on this one. Hey, thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the New Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson. You can subscribe to this podcast on any platform podcast play. See you next time.